I'd like to start out this morning in the book of Romans, and we will begin in Romans chapter 1. As in all of his letters, Paul starts off by identifying who he is and giving his credentials for writing and why people can believe and take to heart what he says. And in the letter to the Romans, he identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. An apostle is one who has been sent and set apart for the gospel of God. Gospel is good news. This good news he promised beforehand through his prophets in the scriptures concerning his son. And he's talking about Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we, because Paul's not by himself, he has other co-laborers with him, And he says, we have received grace and apostleship, and here's what the grace and apostleship is all about. It's what we're going to be talking about this morning. He's received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. It's not limited to any one group or any one uh, country or nation or nationality or race or color, or gender, or anything else. It's the grace of God with the good news, and people are being sent to bring about the obedience of faith, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And so he's talking here about the obedience of faith, and the obedience of faith is for everyone, every person. Now, as he goes through this book, Uh, this letter that he's written to the Christians at Rome. He's going to begin and end this letter in the same way. So let's jump ahead to the last chapter of the book, Romans 16. And this is how he ends this letter. Um, This is Romans 16, starting with verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, the good news that he's been sent to preach, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. And so mystery in the New Testament is a word that means these are things that have been hidden, but by the grace of God, he wants people to know now. And so these are things that in the past people have not understood or haven't been Uh, realized before, but now through Jesus Christ, these mysteries God intends for us to know and to put them into practice and to, to live accordingly. And so as you go through the New Testament, there are, there's a list of seven or eight um, different things that it talks about mysteries. Majority of them center around the person of Jesus Christ. Um, For instance, It tells us that um, to you, the disciples of Christ, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And part of that includes God is pouring out his grace upon all flesh. 
upon the Gentiles as well as the, as the Jews. It talks about, um, in Ephesians 6.19, talks about the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the good news, which is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.26 and 27 talks about the word of God, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. Christ in you. And that's our hope of glory. Colossians 2, later on, he says, God's mystery, which is Christ. So all the fullness of God, he's going to tell us in Colossians, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form in Christ Jesus. And you and me are complete, made perfect in him. Now, apart from him, we aren't. So it's, but in him, then God begins to reveal to us and in us and through us these mysteries. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 16. This is the revelation, Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for so long, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And so the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of the revelation, the purpose of the prophetic writings is so that this good news of life in Christ could be made known to everyone. And the purpose of that is to bring about obedience to the faith. So what about this faith that he's talking about? Um, in Galatians chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 6, Paul talks about all the different things that are going on. Um, in Galatians, you remember, that's where the fruit of the Spirit is listed and all of that. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, The only thing that counts is faith working through love. That's an amazing statement. The only thing that counts, the only thing that has value in eternity and here is faith that works through love. And so it's the obedience of faith, it's the working of faith. Now Paul tells us that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So what kind of a reward do you get? If you seek him. Well. Scripture says. If you seek. You will find. And God tells us in Jeremiah. He says. You will search for me. And you will find me. God says. When you've searched for me. With all your heart. And so the idea is that we seek. In order to find. Romans chapter 10 in the middle between these two things, Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 16, he begins and ends with the obedience of faith to all nations. So where does the, Rome, where does the faith come from? And if you look in Romans 1 and you look in Romans 16, what you're going to find is this obedience of faith is very closely linked to the Word of God, through the Scriptures. In Paul's day, the Scripture was Old Testament. And he's going to tell us that all the Old Testament 
points to Jesus. All the sacrifices, all the feasts, all of that were pointing to Jesus and the kingdom of God. And he is the secret who unlocks the meaning of the Old Testament. And as we understand the Old Testament better, then the New Testament becomes alive for us because we understand why it's there and what it means and how it applies to us. So Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he says, Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. And so it's as God's Word is proclaimed, that's why he's talking about he has been sent and given the ministry of preaching or teaching or or evangelism or whatever. These are word gifts. And the purpose of that is to create and build faith in those who hear. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Now, in Romans, he makes an even stronger statement than he did in Galatians. In Galatians, he said the only thing worth doing, the only thing that really counts, is faith working through love. But in Romans 14, verse 23, he goes even further and he says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You're either walking in sin or you're walking in righteousness. Um, And the only righteousness we have is through the obedience of faith. It was as Paul, as uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer in 1517, he was reading um, the book of Romans and he was reading chapter 1. And when he got to verse 16, there was a radical transformation in this man. Now, he was already a godly man, Luther was. He was a monk. He was um, a very highly educated um, lecturer at a university in Erfurt in Germany. And he, he had committed his life to God, and he was striving to all of his ability, trying to earn his way into salvation, and he was scared to death of God, scared of dying. It was because he was of his fear of death that he entered the monastery to begin with. He was trying to find some way to please God. He hadn't got to Hebrews yet. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But he did make it to Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That's, it's all of faith from beginning to end. As it is written... The righteous shall live by faith. Now, Moses in Deuteronomy 8 had told us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how we live. And it's the word of God that proclaims the gospel, the good news that God in Jesus Christ is offering us forgiveness of sin and salvation. So in John chapter 1, it's very, very clear. In the Gospel of John, and he tells us in chapter 20, that the reason that he's written this book is that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed of God, the anointed one to take away the sins of the world. As John the Baptist is going to identify him later on, he is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And John says, the, the gospel writer, I'm writing that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing 
you might have life in his name. Because faith is more of a verb than it is a noun because it's active. And the, the whole letter of James is telling us that faith, unless it is active, it's a dead thing. It's lifeless. But when it begins to be operative, then the Word of God becomes flesh in us. And that's what it's all about. So in John chapter 1, he's telling us that Jesus basically is God from the very beginning. And starting in verse 9, he says, The true light, that's Jesus, who gives light to everyone, <clears throat> because all of us have the light of life because of him physically, but that's not enough. Uh, we need to press on to have a spiritual life. And he says, This life was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him because he was there at the beginning. It's the word of Jesus that says, let there be, in Genesis chapter 1. Yet the world did not know him. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? He's our creator, he's our father, and we've never known him. The world still doesn't know him. Uh, now there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. You can read uh, descriptions of people, you can see them on TV, uh, you can listen as people talk to them and interview them, you can follow the cameras into their home and all that kind of stuff. You still don't know that person until you really get to know the person. And it's that way with God. So here Jesus comes, but he came in a way in which people were not prepared to receive because he did not meet our expectations. Can you imagine that? And still, people today are not accepting Christ because he doesn't meet their criteria of what they think. Well, who do we think we are? We're going to tell God how he can come and how he can speak, through whom he can, he can work? I'm so grateful that in the Old Testament, uh, Balaam had a donkey. Because I figure, if God can speak through a donkey, I have a choice, I have a chance. <laughs> so God can come in any way that he chooses. And he can use whoever he chooses to use. So Jesus comes himself. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now here's the important thing in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now this is important because it says, it's not enough because he's writing to people who saw him and see him, and people who knew him in the flesh. He said it's not enough just to know who he is. Not enough just to see him. Not enough to witness the miracles that are taking place around you and other people. It's not enough just to believe that he's from God and he's a good man and he's, he's the son of God. It's not enough. Unless you receive him. Because the gospel and sin have two things in, have one thing in common. The gospel and sin. Neither one of, you, neither one of those can affect us in any way until it gets inside. 
So there can be sin all around you, temptation all around you. It's not going to damage or harm you in any way until it gets in your heart and in your soul. The gospel can be all around us. And we are. We're living in days and we're living in a place and in a country where there are blessings and good things all around us every day. And we don't take it to heart. It doesn't get inside us. If it did, we would be transformed. And so the point is that faith is receiving what we believe. You have to receive it. It's a gift. But a gift given is just a gift that's given. I mean, you can, you can set it on the table and there it is. It's yours. Until you pick it up and open it and make it yours, it doesn't help us much. Nice package. That's for me. I'm pleased. But it's not mine until I pick it up. So faith is receiving what we believe. Believing is receiving. To believe is to receive the Son of God into your heart and soul. Every aspect of your life is affected. It's like being born again. And so this is what John says. To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Nothing automatic here. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And that's where the transformation takes place. There was a man, we've been talking about him this morning, his name was Paul, that's how we know him. That's not his given name. His name is Saul. And he was a Pharisee. And he was a, um, one of the religious leaders of his day. If people wanted to look for a role model of a good Jewish man, they would point to to Saul. Um, He was well-educated. He was successful. He was very, very zealous for God. And in his zeal for God, he persecuted the church. Because his belief had not become faith. Jesus appeared to him in a radical confrontation and challenged him with the revelation of who Jesus really is. And when Saul understood that, he received Christ into his heart and the change, the transformation in him was so great that he changed his name to Paul because he wanted everybody to know the man I used to be is dead and I am not that man anymore. I am not motivated. I am not um, living that kind of lifestyle anymore. There is a total transformation. It's like being born again. So I'm giving myself a new name to let people know I'm a different person now. Completely and totally different. Um, There was a practice in the the early church that oftentimes people did that when they became Christians. They, They changed their names. Because... They wanted people to understand what you saw in my past life, you're not going to see anymore. You're going to see something entirely different in my life from now on. That's the obedience of faith. Faith taking and believing and allowing it to move and motivate us. So Peter talks about this as well. 
in 1 Peter chapter 1. So Peter and James and Paul, they're all on the same page on this. Peter's writing uh, what they call a general epistle. This letter is written to the church at large. It's for everybody. In 1 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> starting with verse 13. <clears throat> now notice the, um, the activity involved here. He's talking about faith. And if we're talking about faith, therefore prepare your mind for action. Faith is more than just sitting. It's a, it's not a, um, it's a participatory activity. So prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded. He's not just talking about don't be high on drugs or alcohol or anything else. By sober-minded, he's saying don't live your life in a frivolous way. Uh, don't spend your life over things that aren't going to last and you cannot keep. Life at bottom line is a very simple thing. We complicate it with the things and um, with our misconceptions about things. And we buy into the lies that the world tells us of what it's going to take to make us happy or complete or successful or at peace or have security. And the world is a liar filled with lies and those lies are meant to manipulate and control you um, mainly to get your money and your possessions and um, the devil will use that to steal your peace and your security and your hope that's what it's for and it's a very good job they do a very good job they're very convincing bottom line is they want what's yours to make it theirs and they will do whatever is necessary. So we need to be sober-minded to see clearly. Jesus challenged the Pharisees and he said, Stop making a wrong judgment. Stop using a wrong set of values to determine what's good and what's not. Because the world is so confused it doesn't know anything. So he says, as Christians, prepare for action. Be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will, will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that's not just in the future, because when Jesus Christ lives into your heart, there is an ongoing daily walk with him. It's a revelation. Jesus told the disciples in the upper room in John 16, I've got a lot of more things to tell you right now. You're not able to receive them yet. You have to grow, you have to mature. Um... But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will take these things and, and let you know. Because he wants us to know. These mysteries, they're meant to be revealed now. And he will do that. So as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This sounds like John chapter, uh, Romans chapter 12, doesn't it? So Peter was over here and Paul was thousands of miles away over here but they're writing basically the same thing because it's the same spirit who is inspiring them. It's the same Jesus 
who is in them. And he's saying a consistent message. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy because God's holy. So holiness of lifestyle, that's the obedience of faith. That's what that does. And he's not saying go out and do holy things. What he's saying is holiness is a relationship between us and God. It's been bought by the blood of Christ. It's through him that we have access. That's the good news. Sins forgiven and cleansed because Jesus died for us so that we can receive the Holy Spirit into our life and then because of the presence of Christ and the Holy Spirit, we become holy. Not because we're doing holy things, but because he is in us and he is holy. Now, if I'm trying to work my way to holiness, I'd never make it. Bad news is, neither will you. But if Christ is in us, then we become holy because of his presence. And that holiness begins to express itself because Jesus didn't stay a baby in a manger, did he? He got up. He grew up. And he needs to grow up within us, within our own hearts. So Peter writes, If you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, the empty ways, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest. He was revealed in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Having purified your souls, how do you do that? By your obedience to the truth. That's the obedience of faith right there. We receive him in obedience to God's word. Through faith we accept what he has done. And they asked Jesus one day in John chapter 6, what must we do to do the works of God? And he said it's an easy thing. The work of God is to believe in the one that he has sent. But remember, believing is receiving. And receiving means that Christ now lives within our heart. And we have died to the sins and the lifestyles of the past. And we've received new life, a new birth in God. Which means that now we have access, a way through, into the very presence of God himself. The Old Testament teaches us no man can see God at any time because of our sin. But when Christ comes into our heart, he begins to reveal God to us directly, individually. So having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a, a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, 
but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So it's the obedience of faith that God is looking for within us. There are a lot of people who said they believed in Jesus. And when difficult times came, they fell away. Because their believing hadn't got to the point of receiving. It hadn't got beyond an intellectual understanding of what truth is. Because truth is not really truth until you live it out. And love is not love unless it's expressed. And so love means you're expressing that by the way that you live. Attitudes, actions, um, relationships. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. So the book of Romans from beginning to end. Romans chapter 1 to Romans 16. The gospel, the good news, sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Looking for the obedience of faith among all nations. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you are the song that we sing. And because of your presence in our life, because of the daily ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's an unending song. And it never ceases. And it fills our heart with joy and peace, the security and hope that we need in dark times in which we live. So Lord, we pray that you would move us, that we would truly hear your word, that it would deep reach deep down into our hearts and into our souls. And that by believing, by receiving that word, we might have life in your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have communion in our church every Sunday. Um, it's because it's a, a good reminder for us and it's a commandment that the Lord that we do this often in remembrance of Him. But it's a living memory. It's not just a past historical event. So in the Old Testament, they had what they called a peace offering. And you could do that at any time. And we would call it a thanksgiving offering. And the scripture actually talks about it being a sacrifice of praise. And if a man wanted to give a, a peace offering to God, he would get the animal, uh, firstborn male, spotless, and he would bring it into the presence of the Lord. They would kill that animal. Part of it would go to the to the sanctuary, part of it would go to the Levites that are helping, but the majority of it came back to the guy who was offering. Now what he would do is, this is not an individual thing, he would call all of his friends, all of his family, kind of like Thanksgiving for us, right? He would get everybody together, and there 
in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of all of his friends and all of his family, he would stand up and publicly proclaim, this is why I'm offering this to God. This is what he's done for me. This is why I am thankful. That's a pretty good deal. So if our Thanksgiving meal coming up is going to be more than family, friends, and football, you know, the three F's, <laughs> then maybe, I know some of you already do this, but might it be a good idea for us to take time and say, it's a national day of Thanksgiving. This is what we have to be thankful for. This is what I have to be thankful for. Make it a public proclamation like they did in the Old Testament. That's what it's for. A peace offering. We're saying thank you to God because this is what he's doing in my life right now. Now, if God's not doing anything in your life, you don't have anything to say, do you? But there's not one person alive that hasn't been blessed by God. Not one. So we need to acknowledge it. You know, what if somebody gave you this incredible gift beyond value to you and you didn't even say thanks? That's the way we are. That's the way we are. So what they did, they said, let's have a peace offering. We can thank God and then we can tell everybody we can show God how grateful we are by saying, man, did you see what they've done? Did you see what God did for me? In the liturgical church, communion is called the Eucharist. It's called the great thanksgiving. That's what communion is. It's a giving of thanks for what God, through his son, Jesus Christ, did for us. When a person says that they're saved, what does that mean? What it means is there's no longer any fear of death. There's no longer any shame, no guilt. Because our sins have been forgiven. And because our sins have been forgiven, it means salvation for you and me. That's what it means. That's what salvation is. Because our sins are forgiven, now we can come into the presence of a holy God because through Jesus Christ and through the gift of His Spirit, He has made us holy as well. And we can come boldly into the throne of grace as His children, as Jesus went into the presence of His Father. He gives that kind of relationship with us. And so, that's why we celebrate communion every Sunday. Now, our church, we believe in open communion, which means it's the blood of Christ who died. It's his table. He's the one who gives its invitation. It's for all of us sinners who need the grace of God, all of us. And that's everybody. And so everyone is welcome at this table. If we're sinful, that's, that's what it's for. To remind us that Jesus died for us and there is hope for us. And there is an offer of cleansing and peace with God. And when we're at peace with God, we can be at peace with ourselves. And you really can't have peace with anybody else until there's peace in your own heart. You can't give what you don't have. You can't share what's not yours to give. 
But through Christ, we have these things. So we celebrate that this morning, and everyone is welcome if you would like to come. No pressure. Um, this is a freely given thing. Uh, also, um, there will be people, one over here and over here, who would be willing to pray with anybody if you want someone to pray with you. Maybe you have never asked Christ into your heart. Today's a good thing. It would be a great thing to be thankful for this coming week. You can do that. Just talk to the people. That's what they're there for. Now, if there's something you, on your heart, on your mind that you want someone to pray about, they will be happy to pray with you. So all of this is possible because of God giving us His Son. And on the night of His betrayal, they were having the Last Supper. The disciples didn't know it was the Last Supper. Jesus knew it was the Last Supper. And after the meal, He took the bread and having given thanks, the great thanksgiving, He broke it and He gave it to His disciples saying, Take, eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. Now at that point, Jesus was speaking prophetically, wasn't He? Because before the sun group came up the next day, He would be sentenced and condemned to die. So, this is my body broken for you. After supper, he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Each of you drink from this cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, a new testimony in my blood. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So, we call it the bread of life and the cup of salvation, the cup of forgiveness. And he invites us to come. So will those who are serving communion please come forward?